In the first part of the chapter, we found the mighty angel, verse number one, I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, a rainbow upon his head, and his face as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And that mighty angel, we believe, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so John tells us that in the midst of all of the troubles of our world, whenever we find ourselves struggling, we turn our eyes toward Jesus. Amen? Get our focus back on the Lord. And so he encourages us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. We saw that he draws our attention to his character. John tells us about the dwelling place of our Lord. He came down from heaven. And then he gives us a description of our Lord. And then he also draws our attention to his claims that he gives in verse number 2. The book, the little book he uh, had in his hand. He said he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. And he was reclaiming dominion over the, uh, over the earth. And then he drew our attention towards his cry in verse 3. He cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered, uttered their voice. Now, as we come to verse 4, the second part of this chapter, the first part we turn our eyes upon Jesus. The second part we turn our eyes upon John. We're going to see some things about John, who is the human author of the book of Revelation, as it is given to us here in this 10th chapter of uh, the book of Revelation. We turn our eyes upon John. John introduces himself into the scene, and he says in verse number 4, And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, notice this phrase, he says, I was about to write. He's about to write. He's going to write down for us some things. Now, he had, he, he, he's going to tell us a little bit later on that there's some things that he's told not to write, but there's also some things that he is told to write. And so I want you to notice that as he writes, how practical the Word of God is. He tells us in verse number 4, just very simply, he says, I heard. In verse 5, he says, I saw. In verse 8, I heard again. In verse 9, I went. In verse 9, again, he says, I said. Verse 10, I took. Verse 10, I ate. Very, the simplicity of the Word of God and the practicalness of God's Word. And so when we look at God's Word, we find that it's, it's very well to be caught up with the King of Kings and His beauty, just as we saw in the first part of the chapter. It's, it's, we have to be careful we don't get our heads caught up in the clouds and we miss the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand that there, there's a sense in which we focus our eyes on the Lord and we're looking forward to heaven and all of that, but we understand our feet are still on the earth, aren't they? We're still here. And the Apostle Paul wrote to the, to the folks at Colossae in the book of Colossians, he took, wrote to them that are in Christ. And we are in Christ, but we're also still in this world in, in which we live. And we are to live for the Lord and serve Him while we are here. The remainder of this chapter deals with two different things. It deals with John's response to the Word of God, and then it deals with his response to the will of God. And if we can get those two things right in our life, respond properly to the Word of God and respond properly to the will of God, we'll be successful in our Christian life and living for God and serving Him. So, I want you to notice, first of all, how attentive John was to the Word of God. How attentive he was. And I don't have to tell you tonight, it goes without saying, but we are to be attentive to God's Word, aren't we? 
We should listen to it. We should read it. We should heed it. We're to do what it says. And John is brought to the forefront of this chapter to show us the practical effect of the visions of Revelation to our daily life. The book of Revelation was not just written so we knew all about the future. There's some applications to my life and to your life every day. Notice with me then the voices that he heard in verse number 4. It says, When the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. John heard a voice of prohibition. In other words, God said, John, here's something I don't want you to write. Here's something I don't want you to talk about. And so, a voice told John not to do something. You know, there's some things God tells us to do, and sometimes He tells us not to do things. Follow with me at verse number 3. In verse 3 He says, And cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And then in verse 4 John says, And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. John had his legal pad out. He had his book ready. He's getting ready to write down the things that he heard, as he had done previously in the, in the book. And he hears a voice from heaven that says, John, seal up those things that the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. Now think about this for a moment. We've heard back in chapter 9, in the preceding chapter, some of the tremendous things that came as a result of these thunders and these judgments that have come upon the earth. And now, God says there are seven things that are going to take place, but John, in a sense, these are too terrible. I don't want you to tell about them. I want you to seal them up. Now, we understand that the Great Tribulation is going to be a terrible time with God's wrath poured out upon this earth. But what we know about it is not complete, is it? There's some things we don't know. There's some things that God said, John, you don't tell them about it. And John was pro prohibited to write them down. A voice of prohibition prohibiting him to write what he saw. Now, this is the only time in the book of Revelation when John was told to seal up everything or anything. In fact, the book of Revelation is just the opposite to reveal or to unveil or to unseal. And yet, when it came time for these seven thunders, God told him to seal up. He was prohibited to put down what they said. Now, there's a lesson for us here. There's a lesson about some things which are concealed. The seven thunders, that's a picture of the voice of the Lord. I want you to go back with me a moment to the book of Psalms, chapter 29. And I want you to look at several verses in the, in the 29th chapter of the book of Psalms. And I want you to see the voice of the Lord as it's depicted as a thunder. In fact, there are seven references to the voice of the Lord as thunder that are made in this 29th chapter of Psalms. Look at verse number 3 with me, if you will. Psalm 29 and verse 3. It says, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. So the voice of the Lord here is said to be as thunder, and it's upon the waters. You know, when you hear the thunder, when you're out in a thunderstorm, or when you're in your home and there's a heavy thunderstorm, that thunder can rattle the windows, can't it, in your house? And, and here, God is saying that the voice of God is powerful like that. 
In fact, look at verse number 4 of Psalm 29. It says, The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Look at verse 5. It says, The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Verse 7, The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. Verse 8, The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. In verse 9, the voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calf, or the deer to calf, or the, the cows to calf. Seven trumpets, seven thunders. And yet the Lord said to John, though this voice is a powerful, mighty voice, John, he said, I don't want you to write it down. Paul, if you remember, had a vision in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4. Paul said that he was caught up into paradise, he was caught up into heaven, and he got to see some things. And it says this, it says, that he heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for a man to utter. Paul saw some things that God said, Paul, don't write them. Don't put them down. There's some things that are veiled. There's some things that are sealed. Some things that we do not know about. What are these seven thunders? What did John hear? What were the words that John heard that he couldn't write down? How would I know? God didn't tell us, did he? And you don't know either. And by the way, any Bible preacher or teacher that tries to tell you they know what they are, they are just whistling Dixie. They don't know what they are either. There are some things that we just don't know. Amen? Have you ever had a question about the Bible or about God and you just didn't know the answer to it? Sometimes people come and ask me about various things, and sometimes I can take them to Scripture or I can help to explain it, but there are other times when I say, well, we'll just have to wait to heaven until we get to heaven and ask the Lord. Some things we don't understand, some things we don't know about, we don't have the answers to. There's some thunders in our life, aren't there, that we don't always know the answer to. Difficult times. There's a thousand questions about the Bible to which we do not have the answers yet. And when we get to heaven, that's going to be one of the wonderful things of heaven is to listen to the Lord explain all the things that we don't know about yet. Thousands of questions about life and about death and all, all the events that take place in that. There are mysteries and perplexities of life that we don't have the answers for. But let me give you a truth that I think will be a help to you and a blessing to you. In Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29 it says this. It says, secret things belong unto the Lord our God. Those things that we don't have the answers for, those things that we don't know, they belong to God. Leave them with Him. There's some things God has chosen not to tell us and not to deliver to us. And God said here to John, write them not. There's some things that are concealed. There's some, th some things that are revealed. There'll be some things in your life that you won't have an answer for. And you'll have to wait till you get to heaven to get the answer. So God said to John, write them not. And then notice also with me the vow that he heard. The vow that he heard. He tells us in verse number 5, And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swore by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are therein, and the earth and the things that, are, that therein are, and the sea and the, and, and the things that which are therein, there should be time no longer. Matthew chapter 5 and verses 34 and 35 says, But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, neither by, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, 
neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Hebrews tells us in chapter 6 and verse 13, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he sware by himself. Now, in this passage of Scripture, we find that God made an oath, or it uses the term that he, he swore. God's the only one who has the ability and the authority to do that. Amen? He took a solemn oath here that time would be no more. And we are commanded in Scripture not to swear, aren't we? In fact, the Lord says not to take the name of the Lord our God in vain. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And yet, you know, the sad thing is many Christians use God's name in vain, just flippantly use God's name. They say, oh God, or or by God this, or they use God's name in vain. And that's a dangerous thing for us as Christians. And sometimes we say, well, I would never do that, but we use slang words like golly and things like that. And I think we have to be careful as Christians, the words that we use. And, and, and it amazes me sometimes that I hear people take God's name in vain and think nothing of it. And I'm not talking about the lost world. The lost world does it all the time, but I'm talking about saved people. And I understand that many of you work with people and you hear cursing and swearing all day long and sometimes it just gets into your mind and, and in, a, in a bad situation something comes out that you didn't mean to say just because you've heard it over. I understand that. What do we do when that happens? Well, we, we get alone with the Lord and, and ask His forgiveness and get it straightened out. But He's the only one that has the, the, the power and the authority to swear. It says here that the angel stands on the sea and the earth and lifts his hand toward heaven and swears by the Creator on the throne who made heaven and earth and sea. And then, at the end of verse number 6, he says, and the things which are therein, uh, that there should be time no longer. He swears that there's going to be time no longer. Now the word time that is used there is not what we normally think of the word time. He's not saying that there's not going to be any more time, okay? We know that there's going to be more time after that statement because we know there's going to be another three and a half years of the tribulation, and there's going to be a thousand years of the millennial reign of Christ. So there's going to be more time as we know time. What he's talking about here, it's kind of like some of you have been watching, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but some of you are you're carnal like me, and you've been watching some of the basketball games, you know, and, and all that's going on. And, and you watch those last few minutes of the game and how furious it is as they're trying to foul and score and, and try to win the game. But when that buzzer sounds, time is no longer, right? There's no more time for that game. It's over. And there's going to come a time when God says, time's going to be over in that sense. And there's not going to be a delay anymore. Jesus is going to come back again and He's going to fulfill the promises that He has made to us. In fact, He tells us in, in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, it says that one day is as a thousand years with the Lord and a thousand years is one day. And right now it may appear to us that the Lord is delaying His coming and we could say that we live in the, the days of delay. God's not in a hurry. He's on his own calendar, he's on his own time schedule, but there's going to come a time when there's going to be no more time as far as this life and this earth is concerned for us. And he'll come, take us home, and then later he'll come back and set up on this earth. You can't push God ahead. 
He's always right on time. When Jesus came, he said, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. And God's people have been praying for years what John prayed in Revelation, even so come Lord Jesus. We're praying for him to come back. Why has he not come back? Why has he delayed his coming? Well, I think that it's so that it'll give lost people another opportunity to be saved. There was a gospel song I never did care for it a whole lot. It was out a few years ago. It said, wait a little longer, please, Jesus. Any of you ever hear that song? A few of you did. I, and I understand what that person was saying, what that song is saying. Wait a little longer, please, Jesus, so that I can get all my loved ones in, so that they can get saved. I want to pray, even so come, Lord Jesus. I want Him to come now. Amen? But the delay has been so that our loved ones can have another opportunity to be saved. And the very fact that you're here tonight, if you're not saved, you're here by the grace of God and He's giving you another opportunity to be saved. Because if He came back before church tonight, it'd be too late. And you would not have another opportunity. If you go back and don't turn there now, but if you go back to the book of Revelation chapter 6, you'll find that the saints of God have been praying for for a long time, how long, oh God, until you avenge our death on those that took our lives? When the fifth seal was opened, there was martyrs that were under the earth who were slain for the word of God and for the testimony that they had. And verse 10 says, They cried, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood with them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was unto them that should, it was said unto them that should rest yet a little season. They were to wait a little while. We're in that time of waiting, that time of delay. Just a little bit longer. They were in those years of delay. But there's going to come a time when there will be no more delay. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 37 says, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. It's going to come a time when God will not tarry, when He will not delay. We're living in the days of just a little while. And I think we're very close to the time when He will come. Now, look at what's going to happen in verse number 7. Revelation 10, verse 7. It says, But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God shall be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. He says the mystery of God should be finished. What is the mystery of God? There are a number of mysteries that are mentioned in the Bible. One of them, Paul talks about the mystery. He says it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Talking about the mystery of the church, Christ in us. But there's a mystery he talks about here, the mystery of God. Here, the mystery of God, it says, is going to be finished. It'll be over, it'll be completed. I think the reference here is to the question that has plagued people for years and years and years. And that is the question, why does God allow evil in this world? Why doesn't God just wipe out all the evil people? How many of you would not be here if that was a, don't raise your hand? Why does God allow evil? Why does God allow the devil to, to work and, and to carry out his, his purposes many times? in this world in which we live today. Sin and death are allowed to continue everywhere. Not a city that's not touched by it. Not a family that's not touched by it. There's no heart that is without dealing with it. 
the mystery of why sin and death are allowed to do their damage like they are, one of these days that mystery is going to be finished. God's not going to allow sin and He's not going to allow death and He's not going to allow evil anymore. It will be over and God will put a stop to it. Amen? Won't that be a wonderful day? Amen? And then I want you to notice also how attuned John was to the will of God. He was attentive to the Word of God, but he was also in tune. He was attuned to the Word of God. Look at verse number 8. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. Now, in this verse, you see a tremendous lesson of obedience. A tremendous lesson of obedience. John is told to go up to the glorious one, to the Lord himself, and to take the book that he holds in his hand. Now, think about that for a minute. Would you do that? You're told to go take the book, and John is the one who obeys and does what he's told to do. The Lord has been waiting for centuries to open the book and to proceed with the closing chapters of God's divine purpose and the end of the age. And now John is told to go and take that book. It's time to take that book. And John would need to be in tune with the Lord. He would need to be in tune with the will of God to know this is what he's supposed to do and then to do it. That's exactly what he did. May God help us to be in tune with God so that we know when He's prompting us to do things and we are ready and willing to obey immediately. May God help us to be attuned to His will. God doesn't have many servants like John. But may that be the desire of our heart to be obedient like John. It's no wonder that now in this last part of the chapter our eyes are turned upon Him. Now, this book that's in the hand of the angel is not the book that's mentioned back in the fifth chapter we talked about earlier. In the fifth chapter of Revelation, the Lord Jesus Christ took the book. He was the only one that was worthy to take the book and to open the seals. You remember that in the, in the fifth chapter. That book's already been opened. These seals have already been opened, and now God says to John, John, take the little scroll, and then he tells him to do something very strangely, he tells him to take it in verse number 8. The little voice I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and... What's the next two words? Eat it. Eat it up. John's told to take the book and eat it. Now that's an interesting thing. What does that mean? Well, first of all, John learns that the Word of God is to be personally experienced in our life. It's to be personally experienced in our life. John took the little book and he ate it. And the Bible says it was sweet in his mouth, but it was bitter in his belly. We are to eat the Word of God. We're to digest it. We're to take it in. We're to read it and make it a part of our, of our lives. A similar thing happened to Ezekiel in the end of chapter 2. And uh, the first three verses of chapter 3, God told Ezekiel that he was supposed to take a book. And in, in, in Jeremiah 15 and verse 16, it says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Ezekiel ate the book. Jeremiah ate the book. 
What does it mean? We're, we're to take it in. We're to digest it. What's the book for us? It's the Word of God. And we're to take it in and build it into our lives. God's Word is referred to many times in the Bible as food. In fact, you remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, what did He say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Sometimes it's referred to as milk. Peter said, as newborn babes desire the milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. The little baby's born, and the first thing you give that baby is milk. And as Christians, as newborn Christians, the first thing we desire is to have to feed on the milk of the word of God. That's why people, when they get saved, have a need to get into Sunday school class and have the need to be in all of the services so they can get the milk of the word and can grow thereby. And then the Bible also talks in 1 Corinthians 3 about the meat of the Word. It's like meat to us. The Bible talks about the Word of God being like honey. Thy words are sweet to my taste, like honey to my mouth, it says. Honey's sweet, isn't it? We like a little bit of it. The Bible tells us in Proverbs, you eat a little bit of it, don't eat too much of it. How many of you are like me? You like a good hot biscuit with some butter on it and some honey on that. Amen. Well, we've got a few spiritual people here tonight. <laughs> Honey's good for us. And God says the Bible's like that, honey. We're to have a desire, a hunger for it. And what does God say to do? He says to eat it. We use similar terminology today. You get a good book that you really like, and you read through it quickly, and you make a statement like this. You say, man, I just devoured that book. Huh. Did you take that book and gobble it down? No. You're talking about getting it in and reading it. It's a picture of assimilating something. It's a picture of appropriating something, making it our own, letting it become a part of our life. It's like a teacher that gives you a lesson and says, I want you to digest this material. It means you work it into yourself. You eat it. You get it on the inside. And so what John is saying here is that there's something about the personal appropriation of the Word of God. It is to be personally experienced. It's not just a book that we carry to church with us. It's not just a book that we put on the shelf at home, or if it's a big family Bible we have on the coffee table. It's something we're to personally experience in our lives, and God wants us to do that. Work it into our lives. In Psalm chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Every day we read the Word of God and we meditate on it and we assimilate it and we receive it into our lives. We experience it. Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid, where? In my heart. Did you have surgery and cut open your chest and stick the Bible in there? No. You got it in your head. You read it. You got it into you. And as you did so, you begin to experience it. Meditate, memorize, get it into your life. John said, it was sweet in my mouth, but it was bitter in my belly. What does that mean? Why is something sweet in our mouth, but bitter in our belly? Well, the sweetness of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is precious to us, but there's a bitterness in it because we know that when the Lord comes back and we're taken out of here, there's going to be judgment that comes upon this earth, isn't there? So there's a sweetness, but there's a bitterness that goes along at the same time. 
in our lives. There's a bitterness to the fact of the truth of God's Word when we hear it and we receive it and trust Christ as our Savior, but there are some who reject it and say, no, the sweetness for us is we get saved and we're going to heaven to be with the Lord. The bitterness is those who reject Him are going to die without Jesus Christ and spend eternity in hell. So there's sweetness and there's bitterness. God's Word brings deep conviction to our soul. That's why sometimes people don't want to read the Word of God so much. There's a sweetness and a bitterness in preaching the Word of God. I love to preach about heaven. I love to preach in my Father's house or many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But there's a bitterness to preaching that when we die, if we don't know Christ as our Savior, we spend eternity in a terrible place called hell and suffer forever and forever and forever. And that's a bitterness to our soul. So there's a sweetness and there's a bitterness to the Word of God. And then John learns how the Word of God must be publicly expressed to the lost. We are to personally experience it, but then we are to publicly express it to other people. Look at the last verse of the chapter, verse number 11. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kingdoms. God says to John here in this book of Revelation, that you have a responsibility as you receive these truths. He said, you're going to be telling people and you're going to be publishing it and prophesying before many people and nations and tongues and kings. And by the way, that's still happening today, isn't it? For the rest of that book of Revelation that John wrote is, we're here preaching about it tonight, aren't we? And it's been preached for years and years and years. And it has been expressed publicly. And it's our responsibility as Christians when we hear the Word of God and when we digest it and get it into our hearts and lives and we experience it personally, then we tell others about it. You see, it's not enough just to, just to go to the gym and work out. You go out and you go do the things that you need to do on your job and your work and you use the strength that you build up in order to work. It's not enough just to hear the Word of God and to get into our hearts and minds if we don't get the spiritual exercise of getting out and sharing the Word of God with others. We become spiritually fat and lazy and indifferent. We are blessed people because we've had the opportunity to study the Word of God, haven't we? We're blessed because we hear the Word of God taught and we hear the Word of God preached week after week after week. But the Word of God is not just information for us to receive. It's not just so that we can grow a great spiritual knowledge and wisdom about God and His Word. The Word is information that is inwardly digested and outwardly proclaimed. One of the wonderful things about just talking to people about the things of God. When you come to church and you have the back of your bulletin with notes on and you fill them out and you listen, do you ever take that and tell somebody about what, was, what the preacher preached on Sunday? Do you share that with anybody else? Does God want me just to preach messages so that you can take those notes and put them in a notebook or you can put them in a, in a desk drawer somewhere and pile them up and get them? One fellow that used to come to church here, he punched holes in those and he had them in, all in a notebook. He showed me he had week after week after week of those notes. And that's wonderful and great. But I want to know what he did with them. Are we telling other people about Are we talking about You know, we can talk about everything, can't we? We can talk about the weather. We can talk about the NCAA tournament. Who's going to be in the Final Four and who's going to win the tournament. We can talk about the Super Bowl we just had not too long ago and all the fun. We can talk about all kinds of things. 
But when do we take time just to talk to our friends about the Word of God? What we learned today. What did you get this morning in your devotions when you spent time with the Lord and studied it? Did you learn anything? Did God speak to your heart? Are you just taking it in or are you publicly expressing it to the lost? That's how people come to know the Lord. We are the salt of the earth. We share the truth of God's Word and they become hungry for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And so John learned that the Word of God must be publicly expressed to the lost. Revelation is a wonderful book. It reveals wonderful things to us. But there's some things God said you don't tell. There's some things that weren't written. There's some things in life we don't have. We don't know all the answers. Sometimes people say, well, preacher, I would go witness and I'd go soul winning, but, but I'm afraid somebody will ask me a question I can't answer. Well, join the crowd. <laughs> How many of you ever had a question asked that you didn't have the answer to? Some things God said you're not going to know the answer to. Some of those questions you're asked, you can go back and study and find the answer, but some, some things you just say, you have to wait till heaven to find out. Let God tell you. Some of us have had precious family members that God has taken to heaven in unusual circumstances and situations and wonder, why did God do it at that time? Or why did God do it at that way? And we have all kinds of questions about it. We know God's always right, amen? And someday when we get to heaven, if He doesn't let us know before then, we can ask Him, and He'll let us know. Then that which is revealed now will be unfailed. Paul said, we see now through a glass darkly, but then face to face. You know, it's kind of like, you ever, get, you ever see somebody that their glasses were so dirty, and you thought, how in the world do they ever see through those things? And you get them from them, and you get a little spray on there, and you clean them up for them, and you give them back to them, and they look and they say, Wow, now I can see. <laughs> it's going to be, sort of be like it is when we get to heaven. The glass is going to be cleaned, and we're going to say, now I know. Now I understand. But until then, we're to be telling others and helping those who are darkened, who can't see it all, help them see the truth of the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the truth that John shares with us. Thank you for his obedience to take a look. May we be obedient to the things that you teach us and tell us and prompt us. May we take that book and eat it. May we build the Word of God into our hearts and lives. And may there be a burning inside of us like there was in Jeremiah's heart that causes us to want to tell somebody else. We get to see Your greatness and Your glory and Your mighty, how mighty You are and how powerful You are. We can't hold ourselves. We've got to share it with someone else. And Would You use us to share the Gospel and to point others to Jesus Christ and help them to get prepared before it's too late. Before time is no more. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.